Welcome to The Five. The same five questions, a completely different experience every time. I met today's guest at an event we call CabinCon, which we invented during the pandemic when we couldn't go to DragonCon. She actually came as a friend of somebody else's, but we immediately bonded. And I love this person so much. It feels like we have known each other forever. And she has integrated into our friend group. And she's also dating one of my very best friends now, which I'm super happy about. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, buddy. <laughs> um, my name is Emily. And I am a child psychologist moonlighting as a dog groomer. Um, slash burlesque dancer, slash friend to all. <laughs> um, and that's, that's what I do. <laughs> well, that's pretty amazing. Like I said, you're an amazing person, and I'm so glad to have you in my life now. I love you. <laughs> I love you, too. So, you know what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you five questions. Just take your time, answer them however you like, and take as much time as you want. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? The weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, when I was reading these questions and, and reflecting back on my life, I realized just how little life I actually have. I'm only 23 going on 24. Um, but as I was kind of spitballing these ideas, I started telling our friends about the what I call the date that never ends and I had just gotten back from living in Europe uh, just gotten back to the States and I was traveling to a city about half an hour from where I lived because all my friends had gone to college out there and that's where everybody was so I got on the dating apps to find something to do um, met a guy out there drove out to see him and we met up at my favorite coffee shop out there and he's late right off the bat. So I sit down, I order a coffee. The thing about the coffee shop is that they're all, all the drinks are named after actors and singers. So I went, I got the Dolly Parton and for like 45 minutes, I'm sitting there and I thought I had been stood up, but it was my favorite coffee shop. So I was okay with it. He eventually shows up and big guy, tattoos all down his arms, like really dark features, facial hair. He kind of looks like you because so he's so hot. And but his voice is like three octaves higher than I imagined. And I was like, OK, <laughs> it took me back, but it was whatever. So prior to this date, we had maybe only we've had one conversation and I guess in that conversation I brought up going to an escape room so he was like I've got this great date planned doesn't even bring up the fact that he's late I've got this great date planned just get in my car and we'll go and I'm 19 at the time and I'm like okay <laughs> sure we get his car we go to an escape room I'm like well, that's really cool like a very interesting first date activity it's make or break it we're either gonna work or we're not. We get into this escape room and we're immediately blindfolded and handcuffed to two separate sides of the room. I like shimmy out my little blindfold, 
there are numbers in front of me and then there are numbers on the bench that he's connected to. So I'm like, hey, I'm gonna read out these numbers. You start like following the code and that should get us out of our handcuffs. And he's like, no, no, I think we should like bicycle shimmy out of the handcuffs or X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, like I really think you should listen to me and he just doesn't. So the light switch is like over to my right and I kind of just take my shoe off and like flick the light switch on. And I'm like, look, (laughs) you really gotta listen to me. For the next hour, he comes up with these absolutely asinine ways to break out of this room and I'm doing it all by myself. We get out of the room with like 30 seconds to spare. And there's a picture of us on the Facebook page to this day where he's like so jazzed that we got out of the room and I'm literally like holding it like, I'm so miserable. So after we get out of the escape room, it's now I've spent an hour and a half with this man. He's like, okay, let's go to dinner. Like, okay, we just already did coffee. We did an escape room and now you want to take me to dinner? Whatever. The least I can get out of this is a free meal. I get out of this escape room. We go to this restaurant that now that I live in this city, I cannot find this restaurant. I have no idea where this man took me. (laughs) Mediocre conversation where I'm just saying, "Uh uh-huh, and it is what it is. Like, not engaging. I'm so over it. I'm also at the will of this man whose car that I'm in. So I can't, I'm not familiar with the area enough to find my way back to my car and leave. So we leave the restaurant and we start driving towards the movie theater. And I'm like, haven't I been through enough? (laughs) So the fourth stop on this date that never ended with this guy that I cannot stand. We go to the movies and I'm like, that's fine. I don't have to talk to him. I can watch a movie. It's whatever. And he buys us tickets to a movie called Sorry to Bother You. Have you ever seen it? Spoiler alert. This is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's a very slapsticky humor that just isn't really my thing to begin with, but there weren't even pieces to laugh at. I'm not really sure what the plot was. And at the very end, you find out that the CEO is like breeding horse people in the basement. And there are these weird like horse people hybrids that are like, get us out of here, Marty. And I, he's hysterically laughing on the floor. I'm like, I want to go so bad. I'm going to leave so bad. And he finally takes me back to my car at the coffee shop. I cannot get out of here fast enough. And I'm up against my car door. Like just, he's got me pinned. And he goes in for a kiss. And the way that men go in for a kiss is truly the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Where they're like, ha ha. And they go in for this dead, dead corpse face. I go still. I'm flat. My lips are sucked into my body. And he's just like licking my face, right? Just really getting in there. And he pulls back and he goes, you can really tell a lot about somebody by the way that they kiss. And I'm like, oh, he's going to kill me. Like this is, (laughs) I'm about to get stabbed and die. And he goes, that was incredible. I was like, sir, 
<laughs> you just kiss her corpse. Uh, and since I had just, so I leave, um, and I wasn't going to tell him there wasn't going to be a second date because I didn't want to get killed. So I, but I did tell him that I had just gotten back in town and that I was going to go on a beach trip for the weekend with my, my friends so that I wasn't going to be able to respond. I'm not going to be around. And two days into this beach trip, I get these long messages that's like, I was such a nice guy to you, and I took you here, here, and here, and you just, I should have known from the start you're going to be one of those girls to love me and leave me. <laughs> and, uh, you're listening to this. I don't know what to tell you, man. You kiss like a zombie. Read the room. <laughs> poor Not poor day. He still follows me on everything. I think he paid for my OnlyFans at one point. Move on. It was just, I could not have been any less involved in a date. And he was just eating it up and just kept taking me out. Who goes on four dates? In one day. In one night. I was held captive, I think. I will say, just by talking to a few women so far on this, number one thing I will tell the ladies out there, drive your own car on the first date and do not let yourself be a captive because this one was, I mean, it didn't end as bad as some of the other ones. So at least it was just a bad date. It wasn't a kidnapping. No, that's a different podcast episode. You know the person that got kidnapped, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, ladies, don't ever let them get you to a secondary location. If you've taken nothing else away from this. Drive your own car, don't get to a secondary location. Also, nobody knew where I was. So, you live in your, you learn, and I'm glad that I got the chance to learn from it, and not... <laughs> die i'm glad you're not dead either i would have i would have missed not ever knowing you <laughs> thanks for not killing me david this leads us to the second question which is what's the scariest thing that ever happened to you this one i i really battled with the scariest thing that's ever happened to me um because is it the scariest thing that's ever happened to me from my perspective or things that have happened to me that would scare other people I would say it's from your perspective. Okay. The scariest moment in the last 23.9 years of my life is the moment I realized that I had been in an abusive relationship and that I got out. I, again, was 19. I was just a baby. And I had, I don't want to say lived with my boyfriend because I don't think that's really what it was, but... He was considerably older than me, about 27, and I was 19. All I wanted was to be loved and to be wanted by somebody, and um, I was I was taken advantage of. Um, but I really believe that I love this person, and he had his own house, he had a really nice car, he had a really good job, and all of the things that I was made me feel so grown up and it was like my first relationship outside of being in high school where everything doesn't count <laughs> and 
I wanted to be more adult than I than I was, and he knew that, and so he made enough money where I didn't really have to do anything, which was nice. That's like the the dream is to the, be a princess and have somebody take care of you. And I've never been in a position in my life where I wasn't solely responsible for myself. So it felt nice to not have to work or think or I just existed and somebody was there to love that I just existed. And in that, I spent nine months locked inside of his house. At first I had full range of the house and I could go to the kitchen and the living room and, and the bathroom. And throughout the next nine months, the doors would start being locked from the outside and the windows until I was, for no real reason, other than by the end of it, I was completely locked in his room and he had monitors all on the wall. Um, he was in tech and he would control what I would watch for the day while he was at work. And then by the time he got home, like I had to have paid attention to everything so that we could have conversations on it. And it would be things like the Joe Rogan podcast, or sometimes if we had gotten into a fight or something, he would make me watch like best gore and it would be videos of people being beheaded or like just crazy awful videos of like cats being tortured. Um, awful things like that. At one point he woke me up in the middle of the night, it was like two or 3 a.m. and was like, we're watching Lord of the Rings, which doesn't sound awful except that at this point I was just so exhausted because I also wasn't eating. I think every now and then he would order pizza and then like some soda and I would just like eat as much of it as I could because I didn't know the next time he was gonna feed me again. And it completely cut me off from my family and made me believe that they didn't care and we'll get back to that later because they didn't. But yeah, just completely held me prisoner. Um, so when he woke me up at 3 a.m. to watch Lord of the Rings, I'm exhausted and I could not keep my eyes open for a three hour movie. And he did this three nights in a row for all the movies. So I've still never f actually seen Lord of the Rings because if I started falling asleep, he would wake me up and like force me to watch these movies. And he would, I just existed for his sole entertainment, whatever that meant for him. Um, one of his favorite activities was to go to our like local strip club about 30 minutes away on like Tuesdays. The club is not bumping on a Tuesday, first of all. And he thought because I was bisexual that like this would be a fun activity where he could gawk at all the strippers and I could too. And I mean, they're fun, but not every day for seven days a week, just for him to get absolutely drunk and abrasive and then try to drive home at 3 a.m. Um, one time I tried to get him to slow down and he flips the Audi with me in it just like into a ditch and then it was my fault for crashing the new car and 
I just wanted to make everything better. Like I felt that it was my responsibility since I wasn't doing anything else to keep him happy and to just give everything emotionally and mentally and physically that I could to keep him happy. And that was my only role. Um, when I decided to pack up and move to Europe, it was something I had planned on doing anyway, but one night I just, I grabbed the bag I had packed and just drove to the airport. I like shimmied out the bottom of the window. I had, I was so skinny at the time that it's one of those windows that you can only lift up a little bit, but I was so skinny at the time that I just like weaseled my way out the window got my car, drove to the airport. I slept at the airport for two days because my flight didn't leave for two more days. And um, I lived in Europe for a couple months and met some really amazing people. And I just remember sitting in the floor, the bathroom floor of my apartment in Italy. I'd, I'd lived in Europe for about three months at this point. Um, and my best friend who I had met wanted to go watch the sunset and I was like I think you should go I need some time by myself and I remember her closing the door and as soon as I heard the door close I just started sobbing because for whatever reason that night I realized that this wasn't just like an ex-boyfriend that you know I'm gonna break up with when I leave like I just wasn't happy that I had put myself in a or not put myself but I was escaping a very dangerous situation and I was mad at myself because I thought I was smarter than that you hear stories like this and you're like that'll never be me I I've got too much self-respect I know better I know how to spot those signs and you don't until you're in it or you're leaving it and I was so scared because I didn't have anywhere to come home to. I knew I was running low on money. I knew I'd have to come back to the States soon. I hadn't spoken to my mom in over a year. And he also didn't reach out to me like the whole time that I had left. So initially I was upset that he wasn't texting me back and I was sending him all this cool stuff. And why is he not interested that I'm I've been gone for three months and I'm in all of these crazy places um, because he, he didn't care and I wasn't there to like fulfill these needs for him. And yeah, I just, I laid on the bathroom floor of that apartment and just cried and like took a shower. I felt so dirty for everything that had happened to me and I didn't know where I was gonna go from there because I felt like a little kid. I was like, I'm not as grown up as I thought I was. I'm not ready for all of this. I'm, I was truly terrified for my future, for my past. How was I gonna tell people what happened? Do I tell people what happened? How, do I confront him when I come back? What if he tries to confront me? And um, I came back and I didn't tell him that I came back. I remember him reaching out and, and saying something along the lines of, but you're my girlfriend. And I just said, I don't wanna be your girlfriend anymore. 
and luckily for me that was it um i spoke to him a couple months back we saw each other at a music venue and he was like i just want to apologize for everything that i did and and i know that like that was wrong looking back on it i was like i i don't forgive you i don't believe you and i don't hold any i don't want to say i don't hold a grudge but i've just completely i've worked it out with the people i need to work it out with and myself and i've kind of just let that part of my life go i don't harbor any hard feelings towards him but i also don't feel like i have to forgive him and i don't and i've forgiven myself for for all the feelings that i had negatively about myself then and a lot of the shame that i felt and i've just let that go away and i'm just really appreciative for the people that that were there for me afterwards when i was ready to tell people that and and they were here to help me and help lift me back up and remember that i i i was taken advantage of and there was nothing that i could do other than what i did do and now it's up to me to to move forward with that i'm so sorry that that happened to you that's terrifying yeah but i'm i hate to i don't want to say that i'm glad that it happened because i'm the person i am now but i'm grateful that i was able to put myself on a path of of healing and being able to feel all of those emotions and grow from it and not let it really entrap me and and let him win so i'm i'm happy that i'm here and, and that i get to share that you're one of those people that just kind of exude this like life about them and just have this energy and everything so uh just thinking about you having to go through this is just it's kind of heartbreaking so i'm so glad you're here i hate that that happened to you and if anybody tries it now now i've got you've got a lot of people i've got a whole team of people in my corner that i'm glad that i've met and and through this experience have been able to to gravitate towards and i've got a whole family of people now that it would take a miracle to separate me from from my family now so let's move on to the next question which is what's the most memorable moment of your life so far the most memorable part of my life so far is when i initially was like when i think about my life and i and i think about like the coolest story i ever want to tell like of course i'm going to talk about the time that i lived in europe and i have crippling social anxiety and just decided to get on a plane and i was going to work odd jobs and travel through europe and i did and i met my best friend on that trip and i saw every major european city you could go to i worked as like a crepe baker and a cafe in paris i worked in youth hostels in barcelona and in germany i got to work as a gondola steward in um in amsterdam uh, i worked at some sex shops in amsterdam everything's legal in amsterdam uh i worked as an 
I don't want to say, I don't remember what my job title was, but I was an escort for the escorts. Like, a, not a bodyguard, but I would help girls get to one place or another. Um, and I'm thinking of all of these stories I want to tell and all of these crazy things that I want to do or tell you about that trip when I remembered that the most memorable experience of my life wasn't anything that I ever did in Europe, but was Cabin Con, where I met you. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, it hasn't even been a year. And I feel like so much has happened and my life has just increasingly become better because of all of the people that I met there. And I didn't want to go. <laughs> I was invited to go and I had heard about it and I was like I don't know it seems kind of nerdy and I don't know if I'm gonna fit in but I really love the people that invited me so if friends of them are gonna be friends friends for me I, I trust that I'll have a good time um, I had just broken up with my long-term boyfriend of almost four years at the time and I was such a pity party. I didn't want to go anywhere, I didn't want to do anything. And they were like, you just need to get out, you need to meet people. I was like, I don't even like people. <laughs> so they dragged me off, they packed me up and dragged me off to a cabin in the woods. And that's where I met my chosen family. I don't really have a great relationship with my family and I've always felt like an outcast, not only with them, but just people around me, people that didn't understand just my behaviors, just the way that I am. I always felt like I had to, to mask around people. And just day one of being at Cabin Con, I was immediately welcomed in by this group of <laughs> weirdos that matched my kind of weird, that immediately I didn't feel like I had to cling on to the people that brought me. I was going to be okay with whoever was sitting around our table on the deck. Uh, a group of people that just love board games and, and comic books and video games and all of the little things about myself that I had kind of hidden because I didn't have that community. and. I think within being there for 30 minutes, I told somebody, like, I had just met her, and I was like, so when I was 13, I ran a very popular roleplay page for X-Men, where you just, like, get on Instagram and you battle each other with your X-Men characters. <laughs> I've never, I was going to take that to my grave. I was going to take it to my grave, and I was just dropping secrets left and right, and, um, and I showed everyone my butthole day two so <laughs> it was nos so i got very comfortable very quick i could just tell that there's was just such a sense of community and horniness that i <laughs> that just worked and everybody was so honest and it was that just that love for each other that like unconditional love for each other and I think it was you telling a story about one of our friends um, packing and trying to move and they were just not prepared at all and 
at the time you were like, I don't know if I'm going to like this person. And now it's one of those things that you're like, they're always going to be unprepared and we love them for it. And it's loving and embracing everybody's flaws and loving and embracing everything that makes them them. And in three and a half days of just being in that atmosphere, I left with a complete shift in mindset. I had just graduated college and was working my first year in pediatric psychology. It's hard <laughs> and it's hard and I was getting so bogged down with, with all of the trauma and then that, uh, all of the, my childhood trauma coming back up and again, those feelings of loneliness and those feelings of, I don't have anybody. I don't have biological family. The chosen family I had created with this guy I was dating is gone. And my friends are graduated and starting their own families. I'm at that weird age where everybody's having babies and I don't want them. <laughs> and so now I don't see my friends because they're all at mommy and me. And I was just immediately absorbed into our cabin con family and i could do anything i wanted to there was no shame in wanting to spend time by yourself there was no shame in i don't want to show my butthole <laughs> or if you do if you do cool if you don't there's no peer pressure to do anything i don't drink and that's always been an issue like in social settings to the point where I just don't want to go out anymore because I'm gonna get like ostracized for that and it's just not fun. And I could go and I could drink a Mountain Dew on a pool float and then 20 minutes later take a nap in the same pool float on the dock because I'm sleepy but I still want to be included and you guys just let me sleep in a pool float <laughs> on the dock and, and play werewolf and teach me how to play slut cup, even though I don't drink, but I was really rooting for you guys. Um, and I think back on it all the time because I really was in such a poor mindset at the time. I think Cabin Con inadvertently might've saved my life. <laughs> I think I was, I was in a really dark, tough place. And I think the universe some divinity in the universe sent me to that cabin in the woods and was like, it's okay. Like, I'm going to give you people that are going to take care of you and you're going to be with them forever. So now we're all stuck. So. And I'm happy to be stuck with you. I wouldn't want to be stuck with, with any other person, with any other people. <laughs> I have to say, there is like two people that I've just like... It's kind of one of those weird things where, like, you instantly connect with somebody. Like, you just feel this, like, magnetic pull. And one of them is Chad, like, who is one of my very best friends and who you're dating now. And the other is you. I just, we didn't even get to talk a lot at CabinCon, but it was like, we left, like, friends and then I was like, I can't wait to see this person again. And now we're having adventures together and we drive to go see your burlesque shows. And it's just like, I, I couldn't imagine it. It's only been less than a year, but like you're like a huge part of my life now. And I'm like, I can't wait to see this person. And I'm excited when I see you. So like, it's it's so strange how 
one choice. Just going to a party that you really didn't want to go to can lead to such a branch change on your life. That's it's crazy to me. That's one of the most interesting things to me. It is. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And I'm not a deeply religious person. I very much believe that the universe and the energy in it just shifts and guides us and look I don't know if there is some divine being out there that is playing chess with us I cannot thank them enough for moving my little pawn to you guys because this is it we're family now <laughs> we, we sit around me and Chad sit around and talk about who is going to be who in our wedding and we're like fighting over people about who's gonna be whose bridesmaid and groomsman and who's I'm like, look, it's so it's so nice. <laughs> it's so nice to to feel like you belong somewhere and to really have that puzzle piece like it feels like I just met twenty of my soulmates that I know that some of us are gonna be together forever and I think some of us are are here to teach each other something and maybe move on but whatever our relationships may be like we we were all meant to be together in this commune family cult following <laughs> once you're in you're in forever so you're stuck with us yeah it's a commitment it is I mean, friendship is a huge commitment. It's one I take super seriously, and you're right. It's like uh, you're like this puzzle piece that I didn't even know I was missing, and now it's like I'm like, uh, is Emily going to be there? Because I miss you guys all the time. I could go on for this all day and everything, but I guess, you know, everybody else will get tired of listening to, to us talk about how much we love each other now. We love each other? <laughs> So let's just bring this down <laughs> to the ground. And the next question is, what's the saddest thing that's ever happened to you? The saddest thing that's ever happened to me is realizing that my mom doesn't love me. And I was also told to deliver it just like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I do not have a great relationship with my mom and I've never really had one. My mother has nine children and when you have that many kids, you cannot physically and mentally and emotionally give them everything that they need. Intentions aside, you can't. And even before I went into the psych field, I was already wrestling with this because um, the majority of my young childhood was spent, uh, her first husband was very abusive to all of us, verbally and physically, and we got through that by the skin of our teeth, and she married a super amazing man who raised me, and he is a great man, but he was also very hands-off. And because there were so many of us, me being in the middle, I was forced to be very independent at a very young age. Uh, I truly cannot 
think of a time where anything was ever done for me. I was five, six years old, packing my own lunches, packing the lunches of my youngest brothers, getting us all to where we needed to be. I remember my oldest sister kind of stepping in to raise me. It almost felt like there was an older half of us and a younger half of us, and each older sibling raised a younger sibling. And I'm really grateful <laughs> that I had my sister and, and I have a relationship with some of my siblings, but I never had a parent. And as we got older and everyone started moving out and doing their own thing, I started realizing that there was nothing that I could do that would please my mom. I never got in trouble. I never colored outside the lines. I did everything I could to be easy. My mom never had to worry about me. I, like I said, I was getting myself to school. I was making straight A's. I was very bright. I was taking interest in all kinds of very elaborate things that my family didn't really understand. My, my, I don't want to say that my family is dumb. When I talk about this, I think sometimes it comes off like that, but they're not. They're just very simple people and they want to live very simple lives. And I wanted more. I, I was reading Gone with the Wind and like Charles Dickens in like the fourth grade. I always yearned for more and that was never nurtured, but it was also kind of looked down on. So I just always felt so much like a black sheep in my family. And my brothers were very athletic and I was not. And we would spend hours and hours at baseball games and trying to nurture their skill and doing that because they were really good. And my sisters grew up and became mothers and my mom loves being a mom and she loves being a grandma and loved to to go out of her way to, to help them do that and help the boys do what they were gonna do. And I was just kind of left to do my own thing at 16, I had saved up enough cash to buy my own car. Um, I was paying, I was helping my mom pay bills. I was like pulling my weight around the house that was never asked of anybody else, which is fine. Like I know that I came from, from a poorer home and I didn't mind, but I started to realize that I was being seen as much older than I was at 15, 16, and, and I was forced to grow up very, very fast. And it became very exhausting, very, very fast to deal with the weight of the world when I was still just a kid. And I think this really affected me still. Uh, my prefrontal cortex still is not fully developed. And I f have a constant fear that I'm running out of time all of the time. I'm not even 24 yet. And I feel like I should have a full retirement plan. <laughs> um, in high school and starting college, I kind of was trying to work out where I was going to go in my career field. And I could tell that my mom loved watching my brothers play sports. So I got really into sports and I learned 
everything about baseball. I learned everything about football and basketball and our local teams and professional teams. And I couldn't play a single sport, but I knew everything about them. So I was gonna go into sports broadcasting and I worked for my local newspaper. I worked for Fox Sports Carolinas. I worked under Aaron Andrews in a internship that I wrote my way into with some articles I had written about our baseball team. And my mom could just not care less. And at the time I was like, well, I'm not doing it for my mom. I'm doing it for me. I want to be this great sports casting star. And I started getting into it and I just started hating it and just being miserable. And I changed my major um, after I'd, I'd taken a year off, went to Europe, didn't tell my mom I was going, um, came back and thankfully she let me live with her for a couple months while I was poor and back in the States. And I would, I remember trying to tell her some stories about being in Europe and she just really could not care less and just wanted to talk to me about my sister's new babies and everything going on. And it always felt like there was nothing I could do to impress her. It was just expected of me to be really good in school. It was expected of me to be self-sufficient. I paid for that entire trip to go to Europe by myself. I've never asked her for anything other than, can I please live with you? Because I broke up with my boyfriend and I can't go back there. And even then it was like pulling teeth. I could not get her to help me fill out my FAFSA to go to college. I could not, it, it was one thing after another. And it had always kind of been that way, just fighting for her attention and it always being elsewhere. And then became an adult and I moved out and I moved to the city I live in now, which is half an hour from where she lives. And she, has never come to visit me. She's never cared about what I'm doing. And, but anytime she needs anything, like she calls me all the time and is like, you never come by, you never, you never call me. And I hold all of this guilt for not nurturing this relationship that I just don't have. And I just don't understand what else I can do for her when she, can travel to Florida to visit my sister and she can travel to Texas to visit my brother, but she can't get 30 minutes to me. And I started getting really angry about it because I didn't understand and, and I wanted this relationship so, so bad. And I was doing all of these things to, at the time I didn't realize was to get her attention. But when I graduated, college i graduated from wake forest university which is an incredibly difficult school to get into and i got in with a crazy amount of scholarships to pay for it there are people that have family members on the board that don't even get into that school and i did it and i got into a very niche field and worked so hard against everything that I'm so bad at, like math. I'm so bad at math. And I just worked endlessly to like finish this degree and nobody came to my graduation. And nobody was proud of me and nobody was there to even say good job. 
And it was after graduation that I, all of the anger that I felt and all of the resentment that I was building towards my mom, I just lashed out and just started tearing stuff up in my room. I had decorated my cap and was just like ripping all the stuff off of it because I'm also, even to this day, I have the same reoccurring dream where I confront my mom about it at least three times a month. I have this dream in any random scenario where I just look her in the eye and I ask her why she doesn't like me. Like, what did I, like, I've done nothing but be easy and do everything to get your attention. And in, again, working this out with my therapist and getting, I started doing trauma therapy after being diagnosed with PTSD and telling her about it. And I was like, I'm starting trauma therapy. Um, it's gonna be a really difficult time, a really difficult transition for me. And she just kind of leans up to me and she was like, you're really gonna hate me after this, but just know that I forgive you. I was like, you're an absolute nightmare human being, but thank you. And I start going through it. And that's when I realized that everything that I had been doing what I thought was bettering myself is just like huge cries for attention from my mom and trying to do everything that she wants me to be and to be everything that she wants me to be. And there's just nothing. And I realized that there was just nothing I could do to get that relationship from her. And she, for whatever her reasons are, is just never going to love me. I'm never going to be enough for her. Um, I've talked to my siblings about it who understand and have recognized like her patterns of behavior and they have their own relationships with her. But I've talked to my sister that I'm closest with. I was like, I just had to let it go. I had to let it go. And I, she doesn't love me. She doesn't want me around. She will call on me when it's convenient for her and I can't sit around waiting for her anymore it doesn't do anything good for me and i'm i'm done trying to fill that void i'm just going to focus on things that do make me happy and i'm not waiting around for this to happen and in realizing that it still comes back to i'm way too young to be dealing with these situations and I'm just caught in this perpetual loop of, I'm way too young to be dealing with this. I'm way too young to feel like I'm running out of so much time. <laughs> when I've got nothing but time and I'm surrounded by better people that would have absolutely been in my graduation. <laughs> and I'm, I don't wanna say that like I've come to terms with it because I haven't, but I'm, getting to a point where I'm very glad that it's something that I've recognized and that I can see and that I can say that I don't need this. I'm walking away from it and I'm moving on. And so that's, that's my current state of, of things that I'm dealing with. It's easy for me to say this and it, it's her loss. You are fucking amazing. You're an amazing person. Like, you know, it's one of those things that 
when I met you, this makes sense. Like what you're telling me makes sense. Like you're one of the most put together people that I know. Like, I mean, in a good way, it's like you, you are driven, you know what you want, you go get it. You are, you're much older than your age and you had to grow up fast and everything. So we're just going to have to make up for that childhood in the future. It's time to do all the fun stuff that you didn't get to do. So now I'm constantly in this place of wanting to do things I feel like I missed out on. I want to go to Dollywood so bad. And just little things like that. And I love going to museums and zoos and aquariums. And I love taking my nephews places like that, but also trying to be careful that I don't try to live vicariously through my nieces and nephews, because I feel like I, I walk a very fine line in doing that and being very jealous of them because my sisters are incredible mothers. And I can see them parenting the way that they needed my mom to be. And it makes me very hopeful that, you know, my sisters are kind of breaking this generational curse and maybe it has something to maybe that has something to do with the reason why I don't want kids of my own. Regardless, like my nieces and nephews are are gonna have wonderful lives, and I'm I'm focusing on on healing my inner inner baby Emily and trying to give her everything that that she needed and to be that person for her. Well, you don't have to worry about people loving you now. <laughs> That's for sure. You guys are smothering me and love. And I love it so much. So this kind of leads on into the final question. You're almost there. And that is, if you had any advice to give the people out there listening, what would it be? If the people out there listening are interested in anything that a 23.9 year old has to say, it's that in the end, none of it matters. Nothing matters. I read in a book when I was younger that people are going to say what they're going to say and they're going to think what they're going to think so you may as well do whatever you want anyway. And something about that struck me hard and that it we are on a rock hurling through space and it is just there's no point in worrying about who thinks what of what you're going to do and and hiding parts of yourself for fear of what people are going to think about you because it doesn't matter. <laughs> None of it matters and I you can't let you can't let people make you feel anything you don't want to feel. You are in complete control of of your emotions. So if you want to eat the cheeseburger challenge cheeseburger and eat it eat order the fries get the shirt watch the movie larp be a furry love women love men love everything in between do drag do drag and read to children take your kids to the drag reading shows it doesn't none of it matters start an only fans start an only fans be a burlesque dancer there's Truly nothing stopping you but you because we're all going to die.
some. <laughs> so there's really nothing limiting you than than your own mental roadblock. And thanks for coming to my TED talk. Nothing matters. <laughs> and one day you'll find people that actually are drawn to you because of the things that you've made the decisions to do. And they're going to talk in a good way about you. They're actually going to take all that stuff and they're going to be like, wow, she's an amazing burlesque dancer. I'm so proud to know her. And they're going to they're gonna embrace that. So don't let the haters out there ever determine if... Like, uh, is it RuPaul says, if they ain't paying your bills? Pay them, no mind. <laughs> and I live by that. It's true. Because your people, your people are out there. There is a community for everything. And once you just start being you, like, you're going to attract those people. And we did. <laughs> the funny thing is, a lot of times when you go out there and you do the things you want to do, even if they're probably like you're afraid you're going to be like ostracized because of it you end up in a setting where you meet the people that accept what you want to do it's almost like it you perpetuate finding like a more truer part of yourself just by going out there and and doing stuff i think we're all looking for each other and when you put that energy out there that energy is going to find you right back well, I really enjoyed this today. I got to know things about you that I didn't know. And now I just want to give you a big hug. <laughs> I know, that was cheaper than therapy. <laughs> and it's like the protector in me is just like looming over you now. Like, back off. You know, I got this. I'm just a baby. <laughs> you are just a baby, but you... You had to grow up really fast. And, and that shows, like, I mean, you don't act like your age. You you act like a person that's lived quite a few lives. And, and you have, just from your stories, like, you've been a gondola. You have lived multiple lifetimes already. And it shows you're a well-rounded person. You're an amazing person. And you are who made you that amazing person. You didn't have to rely on anybody. There was nobody else. You're amazing because you made yourself amazing. Oh. So let's end with that. It's on a happy note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. I love you. I love you. Thank you for watching. If you enjoyed today's video, please be sure to like and subscribe. You can also take me with you on your daily commute with the podcast version of The Five. Just check out the link in the description or get it wherever you get your podcasts.